Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. The episode show notes are at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this and all the other episodes. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. My newsletter goes out every week with updates about the podcast, my works in progress, and all sorts of cool sword stuff. You can unsubscribe at any time and there's never any spam. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank the people who make it possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them I'd have quit long ago. Join us at patreon.com forward slash thesoardguy for behind-the-scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash thesoardguy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show, originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defence audiobook project. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. I'm here today with Alberto Mattea, who is an Italian film composer and filmmaker, actor and reenactor, with a deep interest in the Middle Ages. In the historical martial arts world, he is perhaps best known for his short film Fiore, which is, I think the most accurate representation of the late 14th century ever put on the screen. So well done, Alberto, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and thank you for such an introduction. <laughs> so uh, whereabouts in the world are you? Oh, I live in a little town um, outside of the city of Turin in the northwest of Italy. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we film most of the film, actually. So <clears throat> wow, that's, we, that's, we can start from there. Yeah, That's pretty close to Fiori territory, isn't it? Well, not he's really. Like we're northeast. On, yeah, he is very northeast, and we're very northwest. Yeah. But yeah, same like height, we could say. <laughs> okay. Um, is, is it much different to the northeast? Well, I mean, not. I guess not particularly. I mean, normal differences in geography, but I guess the the mood of the of the place is pretty much the same. Okay, because I mean. It would have been absolutely fantastic to go to Pramariaco to shoot the film. I know, I know. We, we, did, talk, we did talk about that. And, and, and some of the people involved in the making of the film said, hey, why don't you join us over here? And, but, you know, logistics and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, no one just, just said, oh, here's a few extra hundred grand for the logistics. That would have helped. That would have helped. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you never know. There might be some random secret billionaires listening to the show who might help you out on the next one. Okay. I hope that very much. So, um, all right. Let's 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 get on to my actual sort of first proper question, which is, um, you're, I think, primarily a film score composer, like a music mm -hmm. person. Okay. Yeah. So, how did you get into making music for films? Well, um, I, I come from a classical music uh, background. I, mm -hmm. I studied at the conservatory in Turin or Torino, uh, whatever you prefer to call it. So I, I have, I'd say, 15 years or so of musical training behind. 
and I guess just one thing, one thing just led to another. Uh, I mean, I had a passion for early music since childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of took me on, on that sort of path uh, along the years. Sorry, it's, it's an interesting obsession for a child to get. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. Well, it had basically. Um, I, I was in around that sort of world very often as a child. Uh, my parents uh-huh. are both, um, they're not professional musicians, but they're like high-end amateurs. And mm-hmm. back in the day, they, uh, they used to perform a lot of Renaissance and medieval music. And since, okay. uh, since I was a child, I mean, uh, they would often arrange rehearsals at home. So all yeah. these professionals coming from everywhere would come over and bring their instruments. And so I, I mean, in my early, early years, I was accustomed to seeing lutes and shawms and recorders and <laughs> psultries and all it's sort like, of, like, yeah. Like my kids with swords. Although yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. my kids, by the time they were about seven, had totally lost any interest in swords. They were just, that's that weird stuff that daddy does. Oh, um, okay, but you, yeah. you actually kind of got the bug. Yeah, I, I was I was fascinated. I mean, all those instruments, the, the kind of instruments that then you, you, you go on and see in miniatures, you know, and, and, and yeah. paintings and historical evidence. So it was, I guess it just evolved from there. Okay. So what is your sort of preferred, um, should we say, early music instruments? Ooh, what do you play? Well, I play, I play several. I play uh, the shawm. Okay, which uh, is what? I, uh, well, the shawm is a... Um, I like to call it the oboe ancestor, if you're more familiar mm-hmm. with the oboe. Uh, it's a double reed instrument. Uh, you, you find the shawm very often in, in iconography. It's a double reed instrument, very loud sound. Uh, it, it's it looks a like a big clarinet, doesn't it? It, it kind of does, yeah. No keys, just holes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. the family, let's say. Uh, recorders uh, of various mm-hmm. kind. Um, well, percussions. I mean, it's a bit of a one-man band sort of thing. Like, you start with one, and then you kind of get pulled in, and depending on where you play, uh, the people you work with, you, you kind of have mm-hmm. to be very flexible. So it, it, it leads to an open-minded uh, an open-minded uh, approach, I would say. Right. Because uh, the last person I had on the show who was into the early music stuff was Andrew Lawrence King, the harp player. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. And, and he get, got into, like, depth and detail about about how we recreate um, historical music because obviously yeah. we don't have recordings from mm-hmm. the 14th century. So uh, that went down very well with the listeners. So, okay, if you are trying to recreate a piece of, say, 14th century music, mm-hmm. you've got pictures of the instruments. Yes. So you can make reproductions and there are probably mm-hmm. some surviving in- instruments that can be copied. Yeah, there isn't much really, but I mean, especially from that period. But yeah, iconography. Where, where, I guess. where did you go from there? Well, so how, um, how do you recreate the music? Well, we have uh, there. There are a lot of manuscripts, mm-hmm. so I, I guess it's a nice parallel with um, Fiore mm-hmm. and and uh, the Flower Battle because you have manuscripts, you have surviving examples of music, and, and you kind of have to look at them closely and, and try to, to understand the way, the, the way they're written and, and what they're trying to tell you. Um, and of course now we, especially over the, the, the past few years, um, we have uh, a much stronger early music community, a lot of very competent people 
that have devoted their, their, their lives, really, their, their studies to the understanding of, of that particular repertoire. Mm-hmm. So we, in a way, today, nowadays, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, really. Uh, a lot of people already did uh, a lot of that work for us. But still today, I mean, different performers, different people, different schools of thinking. You know, sometimes you, you will work with somebody and oh, be yeah. like, yeah, I guess you're familiar I've, with that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot like the historical martial arts community yeah. where, where even though, even say, Fiori scholars... Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's probably less of it with Fiori scholars, but maybe so we say Lichtenau scholars mm. who are like agitating about the differences in these interpretations of the Scheitelhau, for instance. And there are these these camps develop. No, this is the Scheitelhau. No, this is the Scheitelhau. <laughs> and kind of kind of forgetting for a moment that for, for, from the perspective of the rest of the world, nobody cares and no one can tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's probably better if, if we all get along a bit and, sure. and recognize that in the context of the wider world, we are all like weirdos who play with swords, or in your case, weirdos who play with old instruments. Sure, um, yeah. And, exactly. and the differences in interpretation are perhaps not as important as the fact that we're all, we're all functionally weirdos. Yeah, we're all trying to understand the craft, <laughs> yeah. you know? trying to, to, to make it as good as possible. Um, okay, so for the music for Fiore, the movie, mm. um, yeah. you composed that, right? I did. I did. Okay. And when I've listened to it, because you mm-hmm. very kindly put it on YouTube for free, actually, yeah. I've had a brilliant idea. Would, Tell me. Would it be all right for me to tack it on to the end of this podcast episode so that people who are listening to this can listen to the music? Sure. Of course. Brilliant. Okay, we'll do that. So listeners, get to the very end of the show and we will stick it on the end so you can hear what we're talking about. Um, So you composed the music for the film. Mm -hmm. To me, it sounds indistinguishable from music that that I have heard from like 14th, early 15th century. Mm. It sounds like you have taken historical music and and reproduced it. Yes. Is that deliberate? It was, it was. And actually there is a, a, um, a very specific example where mm-hmm. we're talking about real early music. Yeah. And that's for the title card. Um, when the title okay. Fiore appears, we hear, um, let's say, arrangement, a reorchestration of um, Omar May, which is a maybe more 15th century. We don't really know exactly when the the main line was composed, some say early 1400s, some say even maybe maybe very late um, 14th century, uh, about the armed man. It's a French, a French song. Uh, right. It basically says, beware uh, the armed man. Uh, everybody, uh, like, um, put on your, your mail and, and your hauberk and, you know. Uh, and, and so I thought it was just Perfect, perfect. <laughs> for, for a short film about an armed man. And, and some perfect. people actually, some people um, who know the, the piece uh, picked up on that and say, hey, that was very, very cool. Right. That is a classic Easter egg, right? Mm-hmm. There, yeah. are, there are probably not a hundred people in the world who would have got that joke. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people into the early music um, world, but... I don't know how many of them. But the crossover, right? How many of those yeah, the are the movie? Yeah, yeah, so exactly, the, exactly. The crossover is actually smaller than it should be, uh-huh. um, but yeah. that that is genius. Um, yeah. Okay, so 
What is the process by which you compose the music for the film? Well, I think um, I think uh, something slightly unusual is that I'm also the director. Yeah. Uh, which means that I usually oh, can have... Can I just interject? Wouldn't Star Wars have been so much better if John Williams had directed it? Uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge John Williams fan. I, oh, of course I, you are. I, I, I love John How Williams. I, I actually attended a concert that he conducted in Milan just a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. It was wonderful. Oh, wow. So yeah, 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 yeah. Like fifth row, right behind him. It was wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was a digression. So, so no, you're, no, no, you're, you're I, composing the. I appreciate the, the it. Film. I appreciate it. Um, Especially the comparison, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I already knowing uh, what I what I am trying to achieve, or at least not having to to disperse too many energies on trying to put a lot of people together. I mean, not that yeah. it's not a good thing. I mean, it's it's great to have multiple people contributing because filmmaking, of course, is a is a creative uh, group process. But I guess on, on something like this, something this small, where you really have to be efficient, already knowing the direction, more or less, is helpful. So, sure. I mean, the, the approach is very helpful, I think, to be even in the writing process already and, and, and maybe, maybe already have a general idea of what you want the overall thing to sound like. Uh, it can be helpful in the process of writing and once you're on set, you can you can get a better a better perception, a better feeling of where things so, are going. So, do you compose the music after the film is done, or after it's been um, written but not shot, or what? Um, a bit of both. A bit of both. Okay. Um, sometimes maybe I'll come up with ideas that are not going to make it into the final cut, but they're still helpful. Either in showing somebody, like an actor or 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 the whole crew, like this is what the scene has to feel like or like it's about yeah. this you know you get the mood and it can be helpful and other times i'll just you know score from scratch it's happened a couple of times that i i just rewrote an entire cue or something at, at the very last moment when, when when it was already done like it was already in the mm -hmm. movie i i thought it was going to be the definitive version and i say you know what i'll change a couple of things just because you know it, it, it works better in the end it's an evolution it's a process yeah, so they, they feed off each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. They do. Because in my head, there's I have an image, I don't know where it came, probably from a making of DVD, where you have an orchestra and yes. a great big screen behind them and the conductor is watching the movie as he conducts the orchestra. Yes, that, that's for sync. So you, you're... Yeah. First of all, I wish I, I, I had that, that opportunity to have the big orchestra. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I, 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 didn't, yeah. I didn't think you were working with the whole orchestra. It, so, it no. sounds like a few instruments. We, 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 we did have, well, I mean, I wrote for a full orchestra and choir and, uh, wow. and, and some synths. And then I had some live musicians uh, mm -hmm. perform some parts. And I, I put together the two things for better realism. But yeah, I didn't uh, get to work with like 70, 80 musicians. Next time. <laughs> Next time. Next time. When, when that mysterious billionaire shows up. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, okay, so it sounds to me like your historical music thing then sort of developed into reenactment. Is that yeah, I did. Fair? It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of, because I guess I was already uh, open to, to that sort of world. And I was also, I, I really enjoy swashbuckling movies. Like I think most 
people or sure. kids, I guess. Uh, I don't know about Our today, kids, but really. yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I was, you know, big into like uh, the old uh, Zorro movies. Uh, oh, about, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the one with um, Guy Williams, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, the, the, really old school. Yeah, old school. I uh, love that. And the music too, actually. So I guess it sure. was, you know, it went hand in hand. And Three Musketeers, the 48, I guess, 1948 version or whenever it was from. So I, I like that sort of atmospheres. And, you know, as a child, it was kind of like my, my favorite go-to entertainment, uh, really. And, and then I got to the point where I started just naturally reenacting that. So a bit of acting, I guess I was already used mm -hmm. to the idea of performing music. So acting was also natural, I suppose. Um, just as an extension, you know, music, singing, acting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and one thing led to another. And then, then I got to the point where I, I, I had the chance to, to meet some reenacting groups, uh, of course, later on. And um, I suppose I was just very, very interested in the whole package. And, uh, and I started doing that too. And I suppose so, being, yeah, go ahead. So do you, do you actually like gear up and go on the battlefield and fight people with swords? Uh, I never really, I never really done that. Um, okay. I suppose I like the idea of it. I, as a musician, I always had to be slightly more careful, like hands and that sort of stuff. So I'm okay. always, it, I've, because, I've yeah. interviewed an orthopedic surgeon on this mm. show who armors up and does Fiore armored combat stuff. Yeah. And I asked her about hands, and she's like, yeah, well, you've got to live, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And as a musician, you know, you kind of have to pay just a little bit of extra attention, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah, so maybe not full-scale um, battlefield, mm -hmm. but I had my fair share of duels. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not as good as I might come across on screen, but, I mean, I well, enjoy I mean, it. that's screen. Mm. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's what yeah. movies are for. You take someone who is not actually a Jedi and you make them look like one on screen. Exactly. Yeah. Preferably yeah. a good so, Jedi. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> okay. So, do you do you actually train historical martial arts at all? I did. I did in the past. Uh, over the past few years, I haven't really. Just too many things to do. Work. And sure. Making movies and you know all of that. I would need more time, but yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I read the manuals. I, I try to keep up with interpretations. I, I will enjoy a nice chat about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm always hoping, you know, to get the chance to go back and do more. Um, it's just a matter of okay. time, really. Okay, so if you're not like regularly practicing historical martial arts, what made you think, aha, I'm going to spend a huge chunk of my time and attention on producing this short film of Fiore? Well, um, you know, I, I, I don't have much time maybe to practice it, but I love Fiore and I like fencing. And come on, I mean, Fiore is like Superman, I guess, in the world of um, sure. historical fencing. So who would want to make I, a movie I will, I will about Superman? I happily agree with, yeah. Right? Okay. So, that, I mean, Fiore, Fiore is not my first historical production. It's the first one that actually um, got spread everywhere through the internet, but I, I was coming from a feature film, mm -hmm. uh, a low-budget feature film set in 1378, uh, which okay. I worked on, uh, when was that, from like early uh, 2019, and then we, we wrapped it uh, after COVID. So okay. that was already a first, very big first approach to um, a more accurate 
um, 14th century. And so what's, what is that movie? What's it called? It's called Lucifer, uh, The Legend of the Devil's Bridge. Lucifer, The Legend of the Devil's Bridge. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, it's Lucifer 14, but it's in Roman numbers, and it sounds good in Italian, not really in English, because it's just 14. <laughs> so. Okay. And, um, and that kind of opened a few doors because it, it led to conversation. Actually, it's not been released online yet. I don't know when mm -hmm. it will be because like, it was made with a cultural association, so it's not just me. Um, but we've been screening it a lot, actually, um, in, in theaters, cinemas, locally, you know, whenever people want to. To, to see it, uh, we'll try to arrange a screening. And that kind of sparked conversations here and there. And at some point we went, I, I, was, I was attending a, a, a yearly um, reenactment market in Piacenza. I don't know if you know about it, Armie Bagagli. It's a very big thing in Italy. I've never been. Sadly. Yeah, it's nice. It's a like, reenactment fair market. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I met a few people there and I met a Swordsmith uh, from Rome, uh, Spadanera, Jacopo Matriciani. And um, so we just started talking about the other movie, and, and then it was like, ah, it would be so cool to make something about Fiore. And I was like, you know what? I've been thinking of that for a long time, but you know, you, okay. you do what you can. And he was like, hey, why don't we do something? And so we started thinking about it, and it, it kind of happened very quickly because I had ideas about it, he had ideas about it. So in the end, we started. We, we, we co-wrote the, the screenplay, and okay. I put together the crew, and, and we just you know went on from there. Okay, tell us a little bit about the screenplay, because it's yeah. not it's it it seems to me like mm -hmm. you're trying to encapsulate the various phases of Fiore's life. Yes, and specific textual references to anyone who's who knows Fiore reasonably well. Mm. We'll go, oh my God, that's from that page. And, oh my God, that's from, oh my God. There, there's lots. Yes. Watching it, I just had this succession of, oh my God, moments where it was like, <laughs> that's the book. Yay. <laughs> right. But, but it's not, it's not a, it's not a sort of beginning, middle and end story. No. It's more of a, a picture of yes. moments from his life mm -hmm. and which then appear in the book. Yes. Well, we knew okay. we knew that we, we were not going to make a feature. Um, mm -hmm. we, we knew we would have a budget of about 3,000 euros. Yes. You made that film for 3,000 euros? Yes, yes. Fucking hell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what we I, I, I was. I was guessing like 10 times that at the very No, least. no, no, I wish. Bloody I wish. Hell. So we knew, we knew we didn't have much to work with, except yeah. a lot of goodwill and a lot of passionate people. Yeah, sure. Uh, but when you're doing something for that money, aside from the fact that you're not getting paid, so you're doing your off time, all of yeah. us, everybody, you, you do it in the hope that it might lead to something else, and who knows, hopefully it will. But also you do it just because you're making a piece of art and it matters. Yeah, I mean, you hope that people will appreciate it and think it's a piece of art. And so thank you for saying that. But yeah, I mean, we, we had all, good, all intentions of making something good, but we knew that we, 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 we didn't stand a chance to make something big. You know, we, it, was, it would have yeah. been hard to develop a whole storyline because you risk making, you know, you have 10 minutes, 11 minutes. And, yeah. you know, there is a relevant risk of being cheesy. So we just decided yeah. that it was going to be a, a bit of a, how can I say, just, you know, touching some, some, some relevant parts of Fiore and his work and his background, the things that he says about himself. 
which of course would have to be riding the Fior di Battaglia, mm -hmm. um, potentially going back to something unusual or particular about his work, about what we find in the manual. And, and that's I mean, it opens picked. with with one of the duels that that he talks about, like yes. the five duels that he had exactly. against false it, masters. Exactly, and that was the yeah. other big thing because we needed to yeah. show Fury in action. Yeah, and and we figured that that was uh, you know the, the right way to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we kind of wrote it around what we knew we could achieve, more or less, in terms of mm -hmm. practical means and logistics. Yeah. Jumping back and forth, which, I mean, is also something that is being done uh, in recently, I mean, in cinema and series, you know, sure. just focusing not, not just on one thing, but having a bit of variety. It also allowed mm -hmm. us to, to have a bit of visual variety, you know, giving it a bit, a bit more movement rather than going from point A to point B. Sure. Within 10 yeah, and, and you get lots of different, like, scenes. I mean, the main ones are, you have the outside mm -hmm. sword fights, you've got the yeah. inn or the, the restaurant where... Yes. Tavern, I guess we call it. Tavern, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got Fiore's studio where he's writing the mm -hmm. book with the scribe and the... Yeah. So those are the three main. Yeah. So you get these these three distinct settings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Incidentally, Fiore's studio with that, which looks just right, with like mm. actual pictures or, or color on the walls. Yeah. We, we <laughs> um, did it all. Where yeah. is that? Uh, that is an old room from a house that will one day be demolished, I guess. Okay. Um, so we we painted the walls. Um, we built a fake fireplace. Right. We built uh, fake windows and fake furniture made of insulation polystyrene. You are kidding me. No. we You know that blue polystyrene that you use for insulation? Yes. Yeah, yes. we, we heat carved it, um, textured it, and painted it. And Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. See, I'm yeah. a woodworker. Oh, 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 okay. Right? I mean, reasonably serious. Like, see that cabinet and bookshelves mm -hmm. and yeah. that, all of that. Uh -huh. I made all of that, right? Oh. I used to be a professional cabinet maker. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that the furniture was fake. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Right. Now I'm going to have to go and watch it again. And oh, now I, I will probably be able to spot it. But I wasn't, I well, wasn't looking for it. Yeah. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't watch it with this like hypercritical, you know, hmm, I'm going to, I'm, mm, no, I'm, I'm determined this film's going to be shit. So I'm going to find anything I, I, that wasn't the attitude. I went just to see what it was going to be like because friends had recommended it. And yeah. I was just blown away. So. Mm -hmm. So okay, I will I will watch it for maybe the fifth time, but this time I'll look at the furniture. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's just yeah, uh, insulation panels, polystyrene, and we we Blimey. just worked uh, quite a lot to make it look decent on screen. You worked a lot to make it decent on screen. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So that sort of brings me on to the breadth of material culture that, mm. that you tried to get right. Yeah. Um, and like in the tavern, for instance. Yes. The, the pots and beakers and, you know, all, all the, the things that the people are interacting with, all like, you know, the, the, the food and the 
the stuff that the food is served on and the things that mm-hmm. they eat the food with and stuff, they all seem right. So how did you do that? Well, um, well, first of all, the tavern itself was another big endeavor because we built the mm-hmm. whole thing. So you there did. was a yeah. Uh, we started. How from, can you do that for, the, for three thousand well, euros? Uh, a lot of Sundays spent uh, cleaning, dusting. Well, that the the main building uh, used to be my grandfather's um, workshop. He was a woodworker. So I oh, made right, fur- okay. furniture and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I, I was familiar with the look of, you know, good furniture. <laughs> nice. But um, so we, we, had to, we had to completely clean it up, empty it. Uh, we, we painted it and we built a whole wall, again, made of uh, okay. polystyrene panels, which we painted and uh, we added wooden parts here and there, the window and all of that. So that was the start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about all, all these like pots and plates? And those, well, um, some of the extras. Yeah, we, uh, some of those uh, are ours uh, from reenactment. Um, we got some from uh, some very skilled people in uh, Sardinia mm-hmm. who made some very, very, very nice uh, reproductions. Um, I think somewhere I have a video with the the historical artifacts and the coffees they made. So we really uh, oh, wow. tried to be as faithful as possible in the depiction. And, and some of the extras that came from Fiore's land uh, brought yeah. some of their own stuff. So we, we, we assembled a lot of good things. I guess it, it really helps when all the actors are actually really yeah. experts in their own right. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's like hiring really good martial artists to do a martial arts movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, Makes life a lot easier. Okay, so, it so does. some some of the material culture stuff came from the the actors themselves. Okay, yes, that makes and a lot of sense. And some of that we made. Um, for example, we I, I made all the replicas of the manuscript, all the the pages, and all of that. Yeah, uh, it's all hand painted. That reminds me, I have one. There was one moment in the film when I was yes. like, "That's not quite right." Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. The artist uh-huh. is drawing on a single sheet of vellum. Yes. It's about yes. the right size. I know. Right? I know. But it yeah. should have been a folio. Yeah. It should have been a piece folded in half. Yeah. Ah, that's ah, gotcha. <laughs> going to be a pain to stitch into the manuscript. And I know the collation of that manuscript. I know the structure of like mm. folded sheets and, and whatnot because yeah. Michael Chillister went and, and sorted it out and did a great big post on it. And it's like yeah. super exciting for us manuscript nerds. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, that shouldn't uh. be a single piece of, ah, that should be a folium. <laughs> <laughs> I know we had to look for fake parchment and it only came in A4 size. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. So the size wasn't I, quite right either. <laughs> I know, I know. We, try, we, we, we actually, I actually wanted to try to have, you know, the, the big, folio thing yeah uh, like patching it together and all of that and it looked kind of fake like you could see that it was like stitched and kind of yeah patched so i just said you know what let's do it like that uh, some people will you know pick up on that other people will think that it looks okay and it's probably better than trying to glue things together and make it look weird so yeah yeah uh, okay and and honestly a, a single sheet of vellum of the right size mm, would have yeah. cost you about 10 percent of your budget yeah yeah, I, I did look into it and fake ones, and I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
we, we went for that, which was a nightmare to work with because it was kind of greasy. I guess that the yeah. way they treated the paper to make it uh, to make it look yeah, more like fake, parchment. Fake vellum's horrible. Yeah. Real vellum's yeah. lovely. I, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, a little yeah. bit of work with it myself, mm -hmm. but yeah, the, yeah. the fake, fake stuff is, yeah. Yeah, it was hard to work, work with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad I got to have my little moan about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the A4, A4 fake <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with those very sharp corners. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the process, okay, I think most listeners, and certainly me, have really no idea how a film is really put together. Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you have your script and you get your actors and you, you that, sort of, that bit is reasonably straightforward, but there has to be some kind of logistical genius behind it making mm. sure the right shots from the right angle are taken and they're all put together in the right order and all of that so yes. how does that work well um i'll start by saying that we were a bit of an unusual production not just because of the money but also because mm -hmm. we didn't have really many people involved so we had to to do right. a lot of things ourselves like every person on set had to take care of a lot of things um, I, I usually go into filming, I mean, I, I, I try to, with the full picture. I mean, I can, I, I like to step on set, being able to watch back the movie in my head. Mm -hmm. So the acting, the pacing, um, the shots, the editing, the music even, if, if possible. Because I know that a lot of stuff will have to be nailed the first time because we, we have very little time. Uh, yeah. People do it when they can. So it's a nightmare to arrange just to have everybody showing up at the right time. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, I, they're not... I know this eh. from, from doing photo shoots for my books. Mm -hmm. Like getting yeah. eight students and a photographer in a space with the right light at the yes. same time. That's hard. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And on top of that, you know that if you don't do something that... I mean, uh, trying to get it historically right is one thing and you have to be careful because then you have people with 10 different opinions on what is right. So you yeah. know that that may be an issue, but you also have to make it look decent enough. It has to look good enough. Otherwise people would tear it to shreds because it doesn't look like the latest movie that came out yesterday in the cinemas. Yeah. Because most people will not think about the fact that you had, you know, 3,000 euros to make it, and most of that went care. into buying fabric. So, right. you know. Yeah. Right, they, they, they don't care. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, you know, if, if somebody writes a book, and if it takes them a week, mm -hmm. but people are blown away by it, or if it takes you 10 years, and people are like, eh, they don't care yeah. how hard you worked to produce it, they only care what it does for them. Yeah, and um, I mean, in a way it's right, because yeah. you're putting it out there yeah. for people to enjoy or not enjoy. But anyway, yeah. I, I, you know that you have to show up and you need to be well prepared and you need to know what you're trying to achieve. And everything is made much harder by the fact that you don't have the luxury of extra time and extra money and just trying things out and see if they work. Yeah. You get there and you get it done. Yeah. So I think in our, in, our, um, in our case, it was essential to, I, I had to surround myself um, with very reliable people reliable people who I trust and I knew could perform their task well. 
So I was directing, I edited, I scored, I, I took care of the dubbing because the whole thing is ADR'd. Uh, what is ADR? ADR means uh, replacing all the dialogue in post. Okay. Yeah, but the moment you replace dialogue, you're also replacing every single sound. Yeah. So everything you hear, 100% of what you hear in the movie is recorded in studio after the movie is made. Why did you do that? Because, well, you could record live sound. The thing mm -hmm. is, if you're on location or you are, you're not on a sound stage, uh, so you're, you're right. filming in, in a house with cars, you know, driving back cars and forth. Did they didn't have cars in 14 they, 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 they didn't. And, and some people say, well, I mean, they had dogs and bells and so Yeah, but like not, yeah. you know, like okay. a dog barking on one word and then you cut and it disappears. So, I mean, it gives you a lot of flexibility. Okay. And, uh, and that was definitely the work. way to go. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more work. A lot more work. But I think it paid off. So did you get so, the actors in to... Actually, there isn't a lot of dialogue. No, I think no, it. no, no. There isn't. There isn't. So, but you have to have the actors into the studio mm -hmm. to record their dialogue, and they would have to say it the same way in the studio as they said it on set. Otherwise, the mouth movements would be wrong. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You okay. have you have to get it right. And and we're we're talking about non-professional actors, so it's also right. yeah. I mean, Fiore, old Fiore, is uh, is probably the most experienced. I mean, he has decades of acting under his belt. Um, I acting, I mean, he's not a, he's not a, a professional actor, he's in, that's not his job, but he teaches acting, it is, he teaches diction, um, reading, and I mean, he's done it for, for decades, really, so he's really good. But otherwise, you, you need to train people, no? you, you, you have to put them in the, in the moment, they need to, to go back and, and, and feel, once again, everything they were feeling on set to be able to, right. to do it again. Okay. So, yeah. All right, so you shot it and then you just replaced all of the sound. Yes. <laughs> Brave yes. man. All right. <laughs> um, now, the, see, the thing is, because I don't really know anything about filmmaking, mm -hmm. I'm sort of struggling as to which, which questions to ask to get the juicy details out about. Okay, well, here's one. Yeah. What was the worst thing that happened on set? Uh, well, yes. For example, we were, we were filming the opening scene which is also the last thing we filmed, yeah. the duo in the field. Yeah. And because, well, basically, the location we had is a place where a lot of cyclists uh, go by constantly. Right. So we had to find the right moment and the right weather uh, to avoid too many <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, so we ended up filming in the late afternoon on a day that constantly menaced just pouring rain. Oh so yep. it, it, it was fine because it was, it got sunny at the right time, but we had like two hours maybe to do the whole thing. And I know that it's probably less than a minute once you see it edited, but, but it takes so much more, but, but not yeah. just the filming. I mean, the, 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 all the gear, the, the moving around, the, the resetting the camera mm -hmm. positions, you have people, um, with, with, big diffusers, uh, you have to reflect light, to block light. And, and we were not doing it with the huge um, machine that you normally have on a set. So there was a lot of extra running here and there. So we knew we had to get it right. We knew we had a limited amount of time. The sun was going down, 
down, down, down, down, down, down, really fast. And look, behind right? the mountains. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Well, we also completely replaced the sky and we, we erased uh, power lines. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you replaced can the find, sky. Okay. Yes, okay. 100%. Uh, you can actually, there is a video. We put out a video on YouTube with a little bit of uh, visual effects breakdown okay. just a few days ago. So if you're interested, you can find it there. Um, we had to be careful because I had to go through face replacement in post to look more like old Fiore, I need to be middle-aged. That was you. That's me, that's me. Uh, and so we have I to- I thought film. you had another actor for like, no, you had no. like young Fiore, which was you in the pub, uh -huh. and then there was old Fiore in the studio dictating his book. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. There's, then there's middle-aged Fiore- Yeah, and that's always me. Federico Malaguzzi. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was you. And that was me, that no was idea. me. Yeah, yeah, so we had to do everything twice because I had to act yeah. out my part, trying not to mm -hmm. be too crazy with my acting, unfortunately, because I mean, it, it takes a lot of time to do that in post. So we yeah. need to make sure that we could actually pull it off with no budget. And, and then the other actor would step in and he would do the same shot, uh, moving the same way. And, 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 and we had to rush because um, the sun was changing. And I mean, you can yeah. tell, even just in that split second where I would step out of frame and the other guy would come in, the light was already different. So, so what was the other guy doing? Uh, he was doing exactly the thing that I was doing, face-wise. To be able to then make a, a, a track of my face, a 3D track of my face, yeah. cr create a fake um, mesh, I guess we can say, of his face and match it to my facial expressions. And make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fully understanding. Let, let me see if, okay. Yes. So you're there on the screen. Doing yes. I'm, I'm the, the one wearing the costume, doing the duel and looking very okay. grim. Okay. So why didn't you just put the other guy in costume because, and make him do the duel? Because he looks too old. Ah, he's too, he's okay. too old for the character. And okay, so, so what, what, what is, what is the advantage of having him there? Because, what, is, well, what does he actually do? Well, what he does is that the moment I'm done with my shot, every single shot, I mm -hmm. step out, he yeah. walks in, and he does the same thing, but all we care about is his face and the way the light is interacting with his face, which has to be the same way it interacts with my face and my body. Because, okay. then, because then we'll take his face, mm -hmm. we'll, uh, we'll blend it basically, just to keep things simple. We'll blend it, uh, and we'll find common uh, points in the face, yeah. uh, matching points, and basically we will overlap it. It's not really overlap, there is more into it, but um, there's more to it than just that. But basically we end up with a, with a face that is a bit of mine and a bit of his, and that face ah. needs to be, yeah, it needs to be 3D tracked to my head or my body with a costume. Yeah. So, so, it, you're, so yeah. basically you're taking your basic characteristics and body yes. movements together. So it's the same actor playing Fiore until yes. later on. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and you're basically you're borrowing his age. I'm borrowing his age and some of his main facial features. Right. Okay. Wow. I need to have a look at this film again. <laughs> this is, this is, honestly I don't normally watch making of DVDs because when uh, I go to the movies I go to experience magic yeah yeah, right? yeah. and knowing how it was done mm -hmm. um, sometimes it adds to the experience mm -hmm. and sometimes it 
sort of takes it away. But in, in all cases, like I don't, I don't care about the private lives of actors. Sure. Yeah. Like because you know what what Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt or whoever mm-hmm. else does in their own time is entirely irrelevant to me because when I'm watching them on the screen, I'm not watching Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or whoever else. I'm watching that character doing that thing. And if they do yeah. their job right, the actor just becomes irrelevant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so, but I have some friends who do close up magic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And sometimes I get them to actually show me how this trick that they have just blown my mind with is done. Yeah. And when I see how incredibly difficult it is to do, with misdirecting my attention and doing this and doing that it makes the magic bigger yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right it's, like, it's you more realize impressive. how much yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah. So, so i think i think you're, you're at the moment we're in the getting my magician friends to explain how the magic is done because that blows my mind twice yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I have no idea about i mean really though it's the furniture that you've killed me with i'm like no <laughs> there's no way i didn't spot foam furniture <laughs> um, alright so why hmm? did Fiore insist on a particular illustration in the manuscript well in um, blue? well correct me if I'm wrong because you probably know more about that but I don't think we actually have an official answer like None. why well, it's, it's a complete mystery. No, no, no. There's, exactly. there's no academic answer to it. Exactly, exactly. So basically, uh, having to dramatize it, having to create a connection between Fiore and the audience, we wanted to somehow hint at the fact that he might have had some particular connection. I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. memory um, co- connected basically to that uh, particular play, uh, and, and that's was very helpful because it gave us the chance to start from from something that is also i would say unusual i mean in a in a fighting manual like you have you have something like that which is a bit like okay no sword no poleaxe no no dagger you know it's bastoncello you know something slightly different maybe uh, and it gave it opened the door it opened the door into you know, a different world, I guess, uh, we decided to, to exploit yeah. it. And so it's colored because it's vivid. I, I mean, I don't know if it makes sense. We, it was like, okay, uh, make that one blue. You know, like I, I remember it particularly why? Yeah. vividly. Why? Uh, well, maybe, you know, uh, I, now I don't want to spoil the, the film, of course, <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe it was a good memory from a day that went particularly well because then he meets, you know, uh, yeah. somebody else. So... Yeah. No, okay. Let's, let's 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 not let's not give any spoilers. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, there yeah. is actually a little bit of it's not exactly a twist, but there's a there's a there's a kind of an aha moment at the end of the film. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned that you spent most of the money on fabric. Yes. Okay. Why? Uh, well. I mean, not, not, not exclusively fabric, but yeah, fabric and buttons and raw materials, basically. Because we, I mean, yeah, it's true, we had summary actors um, joining in. So they brought their own uh, wardrobe and accessories and objects. But uh, yeah, very helpful and I mean, very good quality, uh, but still not enough. 
uh, of course, it would have been sure. great to have more people, more reenactors joining in. But again, logistics and distance and uh, money. Unfortunately, it's so unfortunate that so much goes down to that, right? So yeah. yeah. So we had a few, a handful of people who who joined with a lot of their own stuff, and then we had to make more more costumes. So we got some nice wool for mm-hmm. for the for uh, Fiore, Jan Fiore, Il Fiore. Um, the other character that shows up at the end. Uh, I don't know if we want or don't want to say it. No, there. no, that's not there. <laughs> okay, that's not okay. It's a reveal. Yeah, it's a reveal, but yeah, we need a good fabric for him too. Um, yeah, he, he would have worn pretty nice clothes. He would have. He would have. And I mean, yeah, no it was question. traveling, so maybe, but yeah, he needed to look dapper enough. So that, and then accessories like belts. We actually had one belt uh, that I wear in the opening scene, made uh, by some very skilled uh, people in Puglia, uh, south of Italy. Uh, they they volunteered a belt, very nice. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we had to we had to buy materials, raw materials, to make a lot of stuff ourselves. Uh, I mean, even just building you know the the furniture and that sort of stuff you have to, to yeah. buy in bulks and you sure. have to buy paint and material i mean a lot a lot of stuff it, mm. but but really it just went into the making of all of that wow i think it's an example of um constraints can sometimes be positive yeah because with I, I don't honestly think you'd have made a better 11 minute film if you doubled your budget Probably not. I mean, it would have taken... I mean, yeah, I guess I would have been able to just indulge a bit more. Like, there, there were a few things I would have wanted to put on screen. But uh-huh. I think that ties, that ties to the fact that we wanted to take this short film, like 10, 11 minutes, and, and showcase as much medieval goodness as possible. We wanted it to be alive. We wanted it to be colorful, detailed, tailor-made. That's, that's the thing I absolutely love about it. Right when it, I was honestly, hmm. I was expecting it to be a bit shit hmm. because every depiction on screen of medieval stuff I've seen in the last decade has been shit. It's yeah. been grayscale and mm-hmm. grimy, and yeah. like it's like they didn't know how to wash and they didn't know how to wash their clothes, and it was always a little bit dark and yeah. just like like. The grimy Middle Ages is just not how it was at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Some people were pretty dirty because they were very poor, but generally speaking, not. Sure. Um, and and it, they had sunny days then too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so the, like the, the color palette was, yeah. yeah, I think that was spot on. Um, and you. a relief. But, okay. The... Writing of the book. There's Fiore in his robes and whatnot with the fireplace going and everything. And he's dictating the text to a scribe who is writing it. Mm -hmm. And he's also supervising the artist who's doing the drawing. Okay. But in Fiore's prologue, in the introduction, he says Mm -hmm. that he knows how to read, write, and draw. Yes. Which some people have taken to mean that he did the writing and the drawing himself. Himself. Mm. I have never thought for one second that he would do the writing and the drawing himself. Mm. I think he may have written out the first draft himself, 
mm-hmm. and maybe sketched the sorts of illustrations that he wanted. But to my mind, the manuscript itself is produced by professional scribes and professional illustrators. Yeah, it would make sense. Okay, so so how did you approach that? What was? <coughs> um, well, I mean, of course, Fiora says that uh, he can read and write and all of that. Yes, and I'm sure it's of tremendous help if you're trying to uh, to monitor the making of a book, uh, making sure that you know you you get your point on paper or parchment. But I mean, he's trying to do something uh, to. to to gift somebody with. I mean, it's supposed to look impressive. It's supposed to, yeah. it, it has a purpose and <laughs> one could say a selfish one. Like it has to impress big time. So I think it, it makes sense that it would turn to some good people uh, to make a good yeah. product. Yeah, I mean, he would, he would hire a professional to, yeah, exactly. the same way I, I write my own books, but I hire somebody to do the layout. Yes. Um, and yes. I don't I don't do, the illustrations and things myself. Mm-hmm. Like I have a photographer who does the photographs or yeah. it's, uh, someone who does sketches or whatever. And sure. It just doesn't mean that you can't read and write. I mean, you're, you're just... No. <laughs> I mean, exactly. But I, I, I can't actually draw, but I can, I can certainly read and write. Um, yeah, okay. Um, so do you think it's likely that the um, images... Because what we see is a page with no text and yes. images being drawn in, mm-hmm. and then text being added. Do you think the text came after the images, or the images came after the text? Um, I I think the text came later. I, okay. I I wondered about it. I read about it. I I checked as as much as I could um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 pages of the manuscript. And I think I spotted several instances in which the drawings, or at least the, um, I mean, the, the paint, the, the red and blue uh, paint goes over the rest, as if it had been added later. So there is the drawing, and then you have some of the red and blue decorations in the letters. Uh, oh, you the lettering, okay. The lettering, yes. And, okay. and probably also the the main text. So I took it as a sign that it'd be edited <laughs> later on. I mean, some people okay. say one thing, others say another. I probably was not. I, I don't have a strong opinion. Yeah. Um, well, and it's quite well, possible that in some sections, the text went in first and in other sections, the pictures went in first. And honestly, I'm mostly interested in hitting people in the head. So I don't actually yeah. care which one you know, went in first. Uh, another thing that, that, that got me thinking about that is that sometimes in some, in some pages, um, you have text placed in some, I wouldn't say unlikely, but maybe not intuitive uh, parts of the page. Almost sure. as if the drawing had gone a bit of hand, like oh, it was a bit bigger than or expected. There should or, have been a, or there should have been a drawing in or there. Ma- yeah. Like maybe they... Um, don't worry, I'm not leaving. I'm just going yeah, across yeah. the room to get a... <laughs> Sorry, I just wandered off. Listeners uh-huh. can't see what I'm doing, obviously. So um, yep. I just wandered off just to get my glorious um, HEMA bookshelf hmm. uh, facsimile of the Getty manuscript. Yeah. And the, the bit I'm thinking of is at the beginning of the long sword section. Hang on one second. 
And I if think we it's have like w- embarrassing long says, pauses, we can we can always just edit them out because you know we have that we have that power. Um, oh, and incidentally, one of the things I absolutely love about these Hema bookshelf things is the collation of the facsimile is the same as the manuscript. Hmm. It's it's yes, Mister Chillister has an appallingly um, like deep attention to detail. <laughs> it makes me make yeah. me worry about him sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like um, so between the guards and the first master of the Zorolaro, mm-hmm. we have this bit of text, um, Spada song contra ogni arma mortale. Yes. So, I am the sword against all... Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, not, is that mortale or mortale? No, that's mortale. Mortale, mortale. Mortale, there we go. Deadly. Um, so I've got the wrong glasses on. In fact, I've got no glasses on at the moment. My reading glasses <laughs> are over there, and they're too close for the video stuff. And my distance glasses are over there, and they're too far away for the video stuff. So, yeah, okay, no glasses at all. So there is a space where illustrations could go, yeah. Um, but there aren't any. Yeah. Um, and you get a similar thing at the end of the Zogolaro section where he says, Qui finisce Zogolaro de la Spada a due mani. So here, here ends the Zogolaro of the sword in two hands. And there's this space underneath where text could have gone. Hmm. And it's, it's in two... It's in two blocks, unlike the text at um, that we referred to before, which was um, the Spada Song Contra Oniano Mortale, where there's a space underneath. That is one paragraph that stretches all the way across the width of the page. Yet here at the end of the Zogolaro section, these two paragraphs, it's basically it's, it's here ends the Zogolaro and then here begins the Zogostrato. Um, and they're separated out into two paragraphs, which is odd. Hmm. Like, why? Yeah. Um, so I mean, that that that, to my mind, that sort of supports the idea that the that the text might have gone in first, expecting pictures underneath. Hmm. But they're a bit far down the page for that. So yeah, I, yeah, I think know. we're just gonna we're gonna have to dig him up and ask him. Yeah, right. Maybe it's possible. Maybe that it's... But both things are true, maybe. Well, yeah, there we have it. Um, like, if they got it done, you know, working at the same time, maybe it's like, yeah, go ahead, we're going to write that down and, you know, go ahead yeah. and make the drawing and vice versa, maybe. I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe the, the scribe got sick for a few days and so the illustrator got ahead of him and then... Yeah, yeah, back and forth. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the swords. We yeah. have to talk about swords at least a little bit. Yes. Right. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like the close-up of Fiori's sword hill. Yeah. That pommel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who, is that Jacopo who made the swords? Jacopo, yeah. That's him. He made my sword. He made Fiori's sword. And two, two of the daggers that we use... Um, two rondel daggers. Wait, one is used by one is the one I'm carrying, mm-hmm. and the other one is the one that the attacker, um, the bold attacker, is is using when yeah. I when I pick okay. up the stool. And so the rest of the weapons were were brought by by the, other yeah by other I, other reactors. I seem to see it. I think I recognize at least one Malas Martialis sword. Yes, there. that's the one Federico's using. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very pretty. Yeah, yeah we've had um, Eleanor Rebecca on the show. And, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so yes, it's, it's like it's like it's almost like this is a very small world. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> it, it looks great on 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 screen. Very nice sort. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to use sharps. It would have actually. I was I was writing uh, back and forth with Roland. Um, Varzeka the other day, yeah. yeah Varzeka the other day, and and we were discussing swords and how cool it would have been at least to give the the actors a better idea of what they were dealing with. Then of course, I mean, you got regulations and safety on set, which is paramount. But yeah, yeah, I get the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. No pun intended. I mean, no, I yeah. didn't. The other guy did. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I I understand, and in in Italy. Sharp yeah. swords are harder to come mm-hmm. by, and yeah, yeah, like, like Malaysia Martialis are not allowed to make sharp yeah, swords, yeah, they're not, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not fucking okay. insane. Well, I mean, different like, regulations, I suppose, yeah, but I, I would like to know why the regulations are like that because you can make kitchen knives, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess I mean at, at the end, trying to explain uh, the other the other actors, you know, a bit a bit more about actual swordplay, I was like, imagine waving a very long um, kitchen, kitchen knife. knife, you know, and, and you can really see that the change in approach, like, oh yeah, this thing really cuts. This thing is yeah. bad. Yeah, I, I use the same analogy myself because, you know, yeah. most people have experience with kitchen knives and mm-hmm. they don't have experience with sharp swords. Yeah. But yeah, it, it doesn't take much to slice your finger open with a kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, we've mentioned Jacopo. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anybody else you'd particularly like to name check in the interview for the who was important in making the movie oh well I think the the most important person was actually my wife because okay. she yeah because she is the director of photography oh right yes all, all hail <laughs> <laughs> she she DP'd the, the movie she took care of the visual effects like most of the visual right. effects Wow. Uh, the color grading, pretty much like all the visuals uh, on set and, and in post-production, she took care of it. Okay. Um, she was involved in the, in the making of a lot of costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, What's I, her I name? actually, Sarah Alderson. She's American. Sarah Alderson. Sarah Alderson. Alderson okay. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that it's, it's good to get the name out there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And well, actually, I take this opportunity to to thank publicly. Then she she won't be able to understand it probably, but our costume designer, who is a lovely elderly lady, mm-hmm. uh, who I mean, her 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 job was high end um, clothing. Uh, she right. she's a very very talented seamstress, and she's been taking care of costumes in all my productions. And she she's worked on Fiora too. She she's really great at checking out uh, manuscripts and, and historical iconography and turning it into something that you can just put on and feel like you know, you're there in the moment. So right. she's Ensa. I, I, I want to mention her for her co- great contribution. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and you can, you can send her this, this episode when it goes out and, and you know, point, it, point it to the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, I will translate it for her. I'm sure she will appreciate it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, good, because it, it does seem like a, a massive 
collaboration. So I would, it is. I should. I, would, I should really thank everybody. I mean, we had a so, great, uh, a great fight director. I mean, Alessandro okay. Tuzzoni and and all of my team, they, the core team that made the, mm-hmm. the movie that made it possible, like on set. So the camera people and all people that I work with normally in these uh, adventures. <laughs> and I mean, they're they're super important. Absolutely. So it's it's it's. I guess you're the tip of the spear. Yeah, but, I mean, but without the shaft, the spear ain't no good. Yeah, precisely, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Okay, um, so I have a couple of questions that I ask all of my guests. Yeah, and um, the first one is, and uh, I hesitate to ask you this one because, hmm. okay, what is the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Oh, well, I guess, uh, I guess, hmm, part of it would be just trying trying to bring this somewhere bigger. Um, okay. What, trying Fiora to moving. Uh, Fiora, yeah, we're trying to to knock on, on a few doors, hoping that somebody mm-hmm. will open, maybe the the person you were mentioning at the beginning of our conversation, the billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the secret yeah, yeah. billionaire. The secret billionaire. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just because I think it, it it's relevant. I think it's relevant uh, to change changing the narrative in in historical medieval uh, films. I think also means changing the narrative in our perception of the period, sure. and and that is of great cultural relevance. I agree. Because ultimately, people, uh, I, I think, moderns view in in, in mass culture. Uh, I mean, what people think of the Middle Ages is determined mainly by uh, film and television. Absolutely, and it, it, it's really hard sometimes when you, when you talk to people. You know, you, people who who claim to to love authors like Dante or Petrarca or great name or Chaucer or whatever, like great international mm-hmm. European names of of the Middle Ages. But then those the same people are convinced of what they watch on TV or or, or in the in the cinema. Well, because you see it, so you believe it. Exactly. So I it, think it, it's like a it's like a, a sh, um, an end run around judgment, mm. right? And in the same way that like actors who play villains on screen sometimes get hate mail in real life. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because people have difficulty sort of understanding that that perfectly nice person who's pretending to be evil, yeah, isn't actually evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, speaking of actors, um, mm-hmm. I was in a way, let's say, saddened as a reenactor, as a, a history lover. Uh, I was, I was uh, watching the making off of the the Last Duel. Oh uh, God! I, I, no, I don't want to no. bring up. I know. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to bring up um, no. <laughs> anything too painful. But no. hearing, hearing some of the actors, uh, like fully convinced, being convinced of the fact that what we see on screen, what they did was actually real. Like, oh, <sighs> these people, you know, the armor they, they used to wear. So, so... so cumbersome. <laughs> you come moving. You can, all you can do is just, you know, hack each other because you can't even move. And they were, if they I ever meet Ridley fucking Scott, I will punch him in the face. Well, he made a few bad decisions, I guess. No, no. He, <laughs> Gladiator was great although Mm. of course Roman scholars are like "Ah, that's not really what it was like yeah but okay but starting like with the 
that one set in Jerusalem with Orlando Bloom. Oh mm. God! Um, and and then the Robin Hood one yeah. was just like it usually starts amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Like the Robin Hood one, it starts with this siege of this yeah. like 11th century castle, and it's fantastic. And then it so quickly degenerates into yeah. the most god awful shite ever put on the screen. Mm. I oh god, it's he has classic example of insufficient constraints. Mm, right, maybe, and yeah. he started started to believe all of his. Yeah, is it is it the Last Kingdom, the Orlando um, Bloom one, where he goes into Kingdom of Heaven. Through, Kingdom of Heaven, that's it. That's it. Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. Right. I've seen on on the making of DVD, Mm -hmm. which I watched to kind of try and understand how that clusterfuck would ever appear on the screen. Mm. He talks about, you know, they would quench a sword Mm -hmm. by running it through a slave. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you've ever actually handled a sword at Mm. quenching heat, you know that if you run it into a person, the blade is going to go wobble, 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 and the person is going to get burned and maybe poked a little bit. But you simply can't run it through somebody like that. Yeah. It just won't go because it's, 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 it's wobbly, right? You have to hold it, like, point mm-hmm. down and dip it into a tank yeah. or it just turns into crap. Mm. And, and there he is spouting this utter shite. Mm. And, you know, he... Ah, ah. Right. Yeah. You should go and you should talk to Ridley Scott. You should remake all of his films and do them well. properly. <laughs> there we go. I have I have an idea for you. Right. Yeah. Go forth and remake all of Ridley Scott's films to the standard of the Duelists. Uh, yeah. First proper right. Exactly. He is capable. This is why he makes me so angry. Yeah. He's capable of brilliance and capable mm-hmm. of superbly accurate historical reconstruct you know historical yeah, movies yeah, yeah, yeah. right that film was superb mm-hmm. but oh god yes yes we should yes you should go and remake everything from gladiator onwards yeah so to all billionaires out there here we're, we're trying to get something done <laughs> but so so you want you want to do something to make the fury film more widely no well, I think it would be great to to get a chance to do a a feature, a feature film, or or even a, a series. I mean, oh hell yes! But you know, it's not something that one can do in the backyard or or in the old house. You know, where you can paint the walls and build a, a sculpture. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, it takes a bit more support. Because I am I am curious. I mean, yeah. is there any mechanism by which you can get paid for making this film? Well, I, I suppose it would take finding a producer. Or multiple producers who no, are no, interested. No, I mean, I mean, what I mean is like the the short that you've produced mm. and you've put on YouTube for free. Yes. Right. Um, is there any way of getting actually getting paid for that film? For for what we already made. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's out on YouTube, so <laughs> I guess it was a bit of a compromise between trying to get a lot of eyes to to see it, and you know, if you put it on, if you're a nobody, let's say, and you put it on a on a platform where people have to pay to watch it, you're probably not going to get a lot of views. And what we we're trying True. to do was to, you know, put it out there and hopefully trigger something else. Uh, so it's a first step. Uh, okay. 
Okay. So we kind of had to make a choice and, and just, you know, make it readily available. Uh, that way more people I'm, I'm, get to see it. I, I, I'm fantastic that you did. Um, yeah, because, see, I, I fund my artistic researches and productions and whatnot, you know, books and courses and these sorts of things, um, by getting people to pay for them. But an awful lot of it is available for free in one form or another. Mm. Um, and it's, it strikes me that then there may be ways actually of taking that core movie, mm. maybe adding some making of stuff, some behind the scenes yeah. stuff. Um, and producing something that people might, because the thing is, it's generating a lot of goodwill. And when people yeah. have a lot of goodwill, they're usually happy to throw cash at you. Well. So, hmm. so hmm. It, it, it would make me very happy to, to hear that your yeah. 3,000 euros has returned 3 million euros in the first year. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, it would. Because <laughs> I'd be pretty confident that that money would be going somewhere useful. Well, yeah. Um, now that's very unlikely, obviously, but it's well. just um, for you to be able to make more of these things, mm. the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, because it would also allow to take care. It would allow us to take care of those few things here and there that we we just had to cut corners, uh, like you know, just in the making of of the whole thing. Because mm. you you have a bit more freedom, you have a bit more support, and you can make it better and better every time. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you you need you need some like big shot Hollywood producer person to see the film and go, holy shit, we've got to give these people money to make something bigger. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, we know we know that a lot of people actually already saw it and they provided feedback. I actually have, mm -hmm. I had some some personal contacts in, in the world of Hollywood. Let's say mm -hmm. uh, express a lot of admiration for for what we did, but. It's individuals, single sure. people, not really somebody with the power of making decisions or, or giving us anything to make anything bigger. And um, so, what would you make next? Well, I mean, if we get a chance uh, to to expand on Fiore, I think, I mean, a series would be great because you know we could show a lot more of his yeah, yeah, whole yeah. life, like from like, his yeah, you, need, you need to have him like commanding the artillery on the walls of the Exactly, internet. exactly. All the, the, the war of succession and, and all of that yeah. and, and the different students he had. And then, but I was thinking that it might end up just being something like the last duel because we might have the big Galeazzo and, and uh, Busico fight at the end or something <laughs> like that. Well, you would have to have that in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know. Uh, there, although there the actual duels themselves were really very yeah, quick. Yeah, a bit, I think it would be a bit move. underwhelming because, I mean, they, they kind of just bashed each other and, and kind of stopped there. So, uh, I, mean, it, I think the, I think Galeazzo stabbed Busico in the face. Well, um, I think what happened... Visor, I think visor. what happened the first time... Yeah, I guess, like, it, it, they, they were... I think I think Galeazzo was like mounting or something, and 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 Busico like tried him. to yeah he attacked him. So it, it kind of was solved very quickly, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely that would have to be in there because oh yeah, it would, it would, and and something that I I have there just in the back of my mind would be some sword and buckler related thing. Sure, 
Yeah. But, you know, I... Wouldn't it be absolutely epic if a company like Netflix put the kind of money into this that they put into The Crown? Oh, it would. It would. I, my only concern, and some people in comments here and there brought it up, is if, um, if a company like Netflix decided to do something like that, would they still want to do it the right way? Well, they did with The Crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the level of historical detail there. Okay, mm -hmm. recent history, but still historical Th detail. That's the point. Is stunningly good. I know, I know. I think what, what you said is exactly the point. It seems like the farther back we go, the looser things become. Yeah, which is understandable. Yes, um, but I think but, personally, but I think when you have, yeah, it's unnecessary. And when you have evidence, like we like we do in so many mm -hmm. in so many respects for for the medieval period, you know, you could still do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so is it kind of a my last question? I think I know what the answer is going to be already. Mm. Uh, and, I, and you can interpret the question however you like. But yeah. um, somebody gives you a million dollars to spend improving historical martial arts or related fields world okay. worldwide. How would you spend it? Mm. Um, well, I, I think improving, I, I think by improving, you mean like bringing it closer to people, like making it more of a thing, a, big, a bigger, a more predominant. And you can interpret the question however you like. Yeah, well, I mean... I guess as far as my skill set goes, um, making some visual product that could make people interested, people who, who don't mm -hmm. know about it yet, people who might just have heard about it, you know, like HEMA or things like that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, I think I heard something like that. Something to make it more mainstream. Because I, I think mm -hmm. historical reenactment, historical fencing, like it, it might be seen a little bit as a as a very, very specific, almost nerdy thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's those people. I think it yeah. should become more of a, oh yeah, that's cool. Okay, what we need in historical martial arts mm. is our Bruce Lee. Mm. Because yeah. what Bruce Lee did, love him or hate him or whatever, but yeah. what Bruce Lee actually did is he took martial arts and put them in the mainstream. Yes. Right? Before yes. Bruce Lee, every little town in America had a pub, and a church. Mm. And after Bruce Lee, they all have a pub and a church and they have a dojo of some description. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, he, by the movies he did and the like Green Lantern and all that, all that TV mm -hmm. stuff he did in America, it just transformed the perception of chop socky stuff. Mm. Um, and it became, you know, he, he, he paved the way for everyone else. Yeah. Um, now, tragically dying kind of helps with the legend. Mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah, some something, basically, some kind of televisual project yes. that does for historical martial arts what Bruce Lee did for Asian martial arts. Yeah, an eye-opener. Something that would make it really cool, mainstream, and at that point, yeah. people would be interested in, in in trying and approaching it. And then, of course, there are mm. people like you who who can teach, you can do the the research. Mm. Experts, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, it would benefit me enormously because people would go out and buy my books. That would be great. Well, of course. <laughs> but that's not what <laughs> what this is about. <laughs> um, okay, so what would the project be? I mean, like a biopic of Fiore might be. A possibility or a uh, 
Well, it may be, and, and that's definitely what we would like to do. I mean, we would like to try to, to make something mm-hmm. bigger about him. But I think even just, uh, even just mm, working on a more convincing, a more accurate depiction of the period in which you can yeah. feature, you can feature Fiore's soul one way or another, like his, mm. his way of life, let's say. I mean, you have fencing, you have his, his historical period, you have just, just making all of that more of a thing. Because yeah. that would really change things. It, it would open a, a gate, you know? Ah, right, mm. okay. The biggest projects tend to make money if they're in English. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, here's the connection, right? You could do a John Hawkwood, mm-hmm. right? Because there's yeah. a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or the Boussico who led the French vanguard at Agincourt oh, is the same Boussico I know. who got his ass kicked twice, twice by his student Galeazzo. Yes, I know. Right? I know. So, and the thing is, the English particularly love a bit of Agincourt. Uh-huh. For obvious reasons. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there could be... Because the thing is, it's it's difficult to make a sort of a biopic about someone who isn't at least a little bit famous. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's easier to do it with someone who is already connected to major events that people would go for. So you could have some kind of biopic where Busico is the antihero. Yes, hmm. and I mean he was a seriously, seriously cool knight. He was like top oh, knight yeah. in Europe, pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And and his feats of arms are stunning. Yeah, yeah, they are. And he still got his ass kicked mm-hmm. by Galeazzo. Yeah. So <laughs> to like, all of my French listeners, yeah. I do apologise by yeah. harping on about this so much. So, I can't help it. I'm English. What so can do, I say? <laughs> doing some math, if he got his ass kicked by Galeazzo, Galeazzo is but a student of Fiore's. There we uh, go. You, exactly. You yeah, yeah. But, but like, you know, um, the whole Agincourt story is pretty well known. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's 1415, so it's mm-hmm. right after yeah. Getty Manuscript came out. I mean, and if it's, if it's pure fiction, mm. right, there's all sorts of things you can do yeah. to get historical characters in doing stuff like, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, maybe the actual secret to it wasn't really the archers. It was the line of English knights. And maybe mm. they had a trainer who came from the Fury tradition or whatever. Ooh. Right? But basically anything, anything yeah. that, anything that gets, gets the notion of knights being highly trained martial artists who did yes. seriously cool stuff with swords and armor and whatnot. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. Cause there's still this notion of, men in armor clunk around and bash each other like mm. like like the archetypal and also fictional caveman thing you know oh, club, yeah. Club, boy. yeah 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 exactly right? yeah um so I, I think maybe there's a lot of scope for for like storylines there yeah 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 because i mean you can still write your story mm. but then you can make it it can feel real. Everything else around the storyline can still be accurate. Right. Believable. Yeah. Like um, Bernard Cornwell did a book on Agincourt. 
which mm. I didn't like very much because it had some historical inaccuracies in it, which made no sense to me at all. Mm. Um, like waterproofing bowstrings with hide glue, mm. which is very stupid because mm. you use beeswax. Yeah. Because beeswax repels water and is very light. Mm. Hide glue is very heavy and is attracts water. So if you try to waterproof a string with yeah. hide glue, you're just going to make the string wetter and heavier and less useful. I mean, it's just like, duh. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. um, but he didn't tell the history of Agincourt. He told the story of various fictional individuals who ended up at Agincourt. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think something like that might be the way to go. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I i mean, it's not strictly related to Fiore, but uh, not too long ago, I wrote a little, little, little screenplay, just a few pages, um, about uh, the evening before the Battle of Agincourt from a French oh, really? point of view. From a French point oh of view. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it, it's really nothing. But, uh, like, I, I, I was thinking already about, like, how could we explore? How could we do something else? You know, how could we? And so it's like the evening before and you have like, um, you have Busico, you have all the other people like Alençon yeah. and all those people in a tent and they're, they're, they're discussing like, oh yeah, the battle, we have a few thousand men that should join us. I hope they can make it, you know, that sort of stuff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think we have a project ahead of us. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of plate armor. Very expensive. Uh, yeah, but, you know, they did it for um, uh, Joan of Arc. Yeah. And they did it kind of, like, fantasy-esque. Yeah. Big spikes on pauldrons. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, I yes, know. yes. I know, I know. Mm. Yes, we, we could do it better. Yeah, oh, yeah, we could. It doesn't take much. Oh, oh respect. Okay. Here's but... the thing, though. Here's the thing. We could do it more accurately. Yeah, more accurately. Yeah, exactly. But, but this is the problem. Mm. Accurate isn't always better. Right. So if you think about it, a stage combat, right? Yeah. Um, when you you put sword fights on the screen yeah. in Fury, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, I got the textual references. I saw the exchange of thrust. I saw the, um, the Corpo di Villano. Yes. Right. I, I saw these things and I was mm. like, yes, of course. I do them a little bit differently. And I was like, sure. well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I should have a word with your fight director because actually I think you'll find if you read the text carefully, blah, blah, blah. Right, because this is, you know, this is where I get very nerdy. Sure. Um, but the thing is, if you're actually trying to murder somebody with a sword, mm-hmm. no one should see what just happened, especially not him, and the person dies. But yeah. on stage or on screen, everyone should see what just happened, and nobody actually dies. Yeah. Right. So you have to mess up the martial arts a little bit. Yeah to make them work on screen. Otherwise, it looks like nothing's happened. Yeah, that's but true. I had this experience when I was doing mocap for a games company in, in the States where they were you know, doing, they were trying to get medieval sword play right on, mm-hmm. in their game or whatnot. And so I, I did a bunch of motion capture for them. And then I came back six months later to do some more. And I saw what they were working with. And you know, the person was like, moving their shoulders around and clumping about. And I was like, mm. that is not me. Yeah. And they went, no. But the problem is when you do it, it doesn't look like anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I've, I've worked really hard mm. for that to be true. Yeah. I want, so when I move my sword from over here to over there, you have mm. no idea it's happened until afterwards. 
Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't want to advertise it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, some compromises, some liberties have to be taken. Sure. I, I guess it can be compromises, but they shouldn't disrupt the overall experience. Right. Exactly. And, and I think the, the thing that really should come through is how very highly trained and sophisticated yes. martial artists these warriors were. Yes. Yes. That's what I would like to see. Yeah, I agree. All right, make it so. You have yeah. your orders now. Go on, do it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, here's, and here's your fictional million dollars to do it with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's going to help. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Alberto. Very nice to yeah. meet you. Thank you very much for making that fantastic film. Um, Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alberto. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons care package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. Before you go, we have a special treat for you. Here are a couple of short tracks, each one is about two minutes, of music that Alberto composed for his movie Fiore. Here is the first one, which is entitled Prologue and Scriptorium. Here is the second, entitled Master and Apprentice, End Credits.
Join us next week when I'll be talking to Ginny Beatty, who is a historical fencer in the SCA, who took up fencing in her late 40s and is now in her late 50s. And we discuss, amongst other things, what it's like about taking up a physical activity like fencing when you are, shall we say, no longer a teenager. So make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really helps. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.